disputing with the Lord. I want to take you back to John chapter 6, and I want you to see that the Jews of Jesus' day were also grumbling. And I want you to see what Jesus says to them, these modern-day Jews of Jesus' time. He said, for example, in John 6:35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should not should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then the very next verse, verse 31, says this, So, as a result of what Jesus has just said, as a result of what he's, what he's just proclaimed, what he's just declared, so the, Jew, the Jews, and then what's the next word? Grumbled. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Look at verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, that is, would-be followers, but not true followers, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying this hard saying of taking upon his flesh as your food and his blood as your drink. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were, what? Grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray Him. And He said, this is why I told you, that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So in two places in John 6, the idea was that the Jews of Jesus' day were grumbling. Just like we saw in just a few references in the book of Numbers, right? They were grumbling. So they were the forefathers of these Jews in Jesus' day who were grumbling. And what happened to them? 
We read this morning that they all died in the wilderness, except Joshua and Caleb. And the descendants of those Jews went on to be the very Jews in later generations who are standing here and listening to Jesus' very words and yet we're doing the same grumbling. Now this is sad. It is unfortunate. It is horrible, this concept of grumbling. And as I said to you last time from John 6, that grumbling is another word, a synonym for unbelief. And you have two instances here Uh, Two arch examples, I said last time, for those who believe and for those who reject, for believers and unbelievers. And I stopped at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples, these would-be disciples, these sham believers, uh, these unbelievers who are disguised as those who are seemingly following the Lord Jesus, But according to verse 66, and after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Some of your translations may say, and they followed him no more. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And here's the arch example of a believer, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? In other words, the reason why, Peter, you're saying what you're saying, that I'm the Lord, that I have the words of eternal life, that you've believed in me, that you've come to know that I'm the Holy One of God, is because my Heavenly Father revealed that to you. I chose you. You're the twelve. And yet there is one. One among you who is a devil. Verse 71, he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And there, my friends, you have the arch example of an unbeliever. In fact, he's the, uh, the epitome of the example of one who was around Jesus as closely with the twelve as anybody who would ever be around Jesus. He saw the miracles. He heard the teaching. He was enveloped along with the other 11 of his fellow disciples of everything that Jesus was about, everything that he taught, and yet he was ultimately a rejecter, an unbeliever. And as I got to thinking about this, I began to realize that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, do you know that in the gospel accounts, all of them, of Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper have three very interesting features to them. Number one, they are all giving accounts, the Gospel writers, of this being around the Passover. That's number one. This is the Passover time. And that's precisely in God's economy why 1 Corinthians 5 says this, For Christ, who is our Passover, has been sacrificed. That's key. And even here in John chapter 6, look at verse 4. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Now, this was another Passover, earlier than the one in which he instituted the Lord's Supper, but this account of the grumblers are in the context of those who were grumbling during the time of a Passover that Jesus was teaching in the temple. And I want you to see that this Passover and the Lord's institution of the Lord's Supper was around this Passover time because according to 1 Corinthians 5, Christ is our Passover lamb and he's been sacrificed for us. That's the first feature. The second feature is, of course, 
the very institution of the Lord's Supper itself, the bread and the cup. And you have in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, and even in John, John chapter 13, which we'll look at in a moment, all of them talking about Jesus instituting the bread and the cup at the Supper of the Lord as that which was going to be ultimately emblematic of that Passover lamb being sacrificed for us. We would have a visual representation of the one sacrifice that was made on the cross at Calvary so that you and I could see this Passover lamb in a visual way as we celebrate the bread and the cup. That's the second feature. And it's really likened unto what Jesus said here beginning in verse 52. He knows that they're disputing among themselves and they don't understand why he's talking about his flesh to eat and his blood to drink. And yet, he is teaching us that if you do not participate in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, if you do not believe in his death and his burial and his resurrection and the shedding of his blood in that act, you have no part, you have no participation, you have no relationship with the Lord Jesus. You have no eternal life. And that's why he says, there is one of you who's an arch example of someone who does believe, who does believe that Jesus is the Christ, who has partaken of his flesh, who has drunk his blood in that spiritual sense that he has believed in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's Simon Peter. And there's another example of someone who is a disbeliever, an unbeliever, and that's Judas Iscariot, who rejects the eating of Christ's flesh, who rejects the drinking of his blood. In other words, spiritually speaking, he rejects the atonement of Jesus Christ for sinners, the sacrifice on behalf of sinners. He rejects that forever. That's the second feature. And the third feature is that in every one of these accounts given in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Judas is mentioned right around the institution of the Lord's Supper. It's amazing. Look at your Bibles at Matthew chapter 26, and I'll show you this. Matthew chapter 26. Verse 17. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? That's that first feature mentioned right here. And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful, and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Verse 26, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You see the features in this account? Passover, the institution of the Lord's Supper, and the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. Now look at Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 14. 
Verse 10, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Who was glad? Who's the they there? The Jewish religious leaders. The grumblers. The disputers. The unbelievers. Along with Judas Iscariot. Verse 12, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, and where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve. One who is dipping bread into the dish with me, for the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Passover, the institution of the Lord's Supper, and the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. Luke's Gospel, Luke 22. You say, Why are you reading all of these, to show you these very fascinating three features. You would assume if we were going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, we would just celebrate the bread and the cup as we are about to do, and we would rejoice in it because we're all professing believers. This is a joyous time of celebration, and it truly is. But another aspect of the Lord's Supper is a time of examination. And the examination that we need to undergo this morning is this. On an individual level, we must ask the question, am I truly a believer? Am I truly a believer? And whether you're a member of Thousand Oaks Bible Church or not, if you're a true believer, you should partake of the elements this morning. But if you know in your heart that there is unbelief there, that you're a church-going person but not a true Christian, then the features of the institution of Jesus of this Lord's Supper includes the very, very poignant and sad reminder that there was someone like Judas who was always there, always around, always partaking, including even taking the sup, the supper, the the participation, the fellowship with Jesus, even in the institution of the Lord's Supper, though he be a betrayer. Look at chapter 22 of Luke's Gospel. Verse 3 says, or even backing up to verse 1, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. There's that feature again. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. There's the grumbling and disputing and the nature of the hearts of those chief priests and scribes. And now Judas, then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, 
to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them as they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. Same three features. Passover, institution of the Lord's Supper, and the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. Now why do I read those passages and why this feature especially of Judas Iscariot? We'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and I think there's great insight here about why this idea of the betrayer and why the concept in John 6 of grumbling. It's because of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And I love this. And the rock was Christ, emblematic of Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. What you have here in 1 Corinthians 10 is a divine commentary on some of the passages that we read, say, for instance, in the book of Numbers. There are, of course, far more that would take us too much time to read. But what you have is Paul's spirit-inspired commentary on what was happening to those in the wilderness in the Old Covenant. And why does Paul share this with the Corinthians? Notice what he says in verse 6. Now these things, these things that happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness, they took place as examples for us, New Covenant people, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do you see that there? And then here are a series of warnings. Look at verse 7. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat, to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And that phrase you'll see repeated several times here. As some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test to tempt Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. And then verse 10, nor what? Grumble. grumble. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation, no testing has overtaken you that is not common to man. Temptation to what? 
How about the temptation to idolatry, as mentioned in verse 7? How about the temptation for sexual immorality, as mentioned in verse 8? How about the temptation to put the Lord Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed? How about grumbling in verse 10, as some of them did? Those are the temptations we're talking about. No testing, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not allow you or let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He'll also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. This is the examination part of the Lord's Supper. Flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. And then notice a reference to the Lord's Supper. The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ the bread that we break is it not a participation in the body of Christ because there is one bread we who are many are one body for we all partake of the one bread consider the people of Israel when they were idolatrous when they were involved in sexual immorality when they were tempting the Lord Christ Himself, and then when they were grumbling, those four sins that are listed there, it says, Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols, idolatry, is anything, or an idol is anything. No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. If, if these in the wilderness were idolaters and sexual sinners, and then they offered strange fire, all of these things, he says, I do not want you to be participants with demons. What he means to say is if you're involved in these kinds of sins as a habit and a pattern of your life, it is idolatry, it is sexual immorality, it is testing the Lord, tempting the Lord, and it is grumbling. And he says, in a sense, verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? In other words, you have to have a clean life. You have to examine yourself and see if your life is clean. Sins confessed. And certainly not these things, and especially the sin of grumbling. Let's bow together in prayer and seek to examine our hearts before the Lord, before we partake of the Lord's Supper. Father, we are commanded by You to examine ourselves. Yes, the Lord's Supper is a great and grand celebration of the bread and cup which symbolizes the very giving of the body of Christ as physical life in sacrifice for sinners like us. And the pouring out of His blood is the new covenant ratified in His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. We rejoice in that. We celebrate that. We know that we are doomed without the sacrifice of Christ. And as we each month of our lives here at Thousand Oaks Bible Church, we celebrate the supper the Supper of the Lord, communion, as a way to rejoice in that celebration and to proclaim His death until He comes back for us. And we should, and it should be happy and wonderful and, and loving and gracious and kind-hearted as a wellspring of our devotion to You because we're so grateful that Christ has died for us. But there is in this supper an element of examination that we should not be those who are involved in idolatry of any kind. 
And it may not be, as Paul spoke of it here in 1 Corinthians 10, a worship of a literal idol that you put on your mantle or that you put in your living room and you bow down to it. It may not be that in our own day and age. But it could be something else for which we are most idolatrous. It could be money. It could be recognition. It could be fame. It could be fortune. It could be any manner of, of devotion to something that is not the God of the Bible. And we pray that you would take away every vestige of idolatry from our lives. Because if we are so caught up in that idolatry, and if it becomes such a pattern in our lives, it may actually reveal that we're not a Christian at all. And that we are like our follower Judas himself the arch example of unbelief and rejection. Or like the Jewish leaders, the the scribes, the Pharisees, who made it seem to everyone around them that they they were the most spiritual people of all. They, They always went to the place where they could pray and praise God, Yahweh God, and yet their hearts were so far from Him. They worshiped with their lips, but their hearts were so far from Him. Or maybe secretly sexually immoral because our idolatry is one of sex or beauty fulfilling our own lusts of the flesh. Or it could be that we're tempting and testing the Lord to demand of Him that He do what we want Because our idolatry is actually ourself. We're the master of our own lives and everyone, including the Lord Himself, must bend to our whims and will. Or it could be grumbling. Grumbling about the Lord's plan. Grumbling about the Lord's care of us. Grumbling about the world. Grumbling about everything that we want changed. And we want controlled based on our way of thinking. Grumbling about leadership. Grumbling about whatever it might be. From those in the wilderness wanderings who were grumbling about Moses. Grumbling about their food. Grumbling about anything and everything. And as a result, they all died. Save a few Lord, deliver us from these sins as we examine ourselves here at the Lord's table. And don't let us be numbered with the grumblers in the book of Numbers or numbered in John chapter 6 with those who disputed the very one who came to offer his body as flesh to eat and his blood as a sacrifice to drink so that we look at the cross and we find there one who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, we do rejoice and celebrate this, your table, but we also seek to examine this table and ourselves at the table. And when we examine this table, we find that Jesus was a sacrifice for me, a sinner. One who's been delivered from idolatry and immorality and tempting the Lord and grumbling about our condition. Lord, thank you for this table. And may we celebrate it now with a fresh examination and an exhilarating confession and proclamation until you come for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The men will come before us now to distribute
the bread. And as they do, I just want to read a portion of Scripture and then some music to encourage our hearts. If you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look over just a few paragraphs later in chapter 11. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we think about these words and as the elements are being passed, listen as the music is played and ask the Lord, to examine your heart, to proclaim Christ's death through your acts. Bible still open to 1 Corinthians 11, you can see that glorious proclamation of the Lord's death until he comes in verse 26, as I stopped reading there, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that proclamation then gives way to examination in verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. You know, that's not so totally removed from the context of chapter 10, right? And that chapter spoke of those Old Testament persons who were guilty of those sins that we read about. And I can't help but think that in addition to their pride and their arrogance and their selfishness in eating food, and not giving that food to others because surely that's the context here of their selfishness as Paul says in verse 33 and following. But I also assume that he's talking about those kinds of sins that are enumerated in in chapter 10. And when they are, it's a challenge for all of us, isn't it? To examine ourselves and say, is there idolatry there? Is there a kind of sexual immorality that's present in my life, even if it's only in my thoughts, even if it's not involved in my actions? Is there a kind of testing of the Lord or demanding of the Lord 
that he do what we want him to do as though we're sovereign? And is there a sense of our grumbling toward the Lord like the Old Testament wilderness wanderings of those Israelites and how the Lord was very displeased? So there's a proclamation of his death and there's an examination of our lives. And that's really what this very supper of the Lord is designed to do. Proclamation and examination. So if you've rightly examined yourselves and if you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, then you'll do it together with me. Let's do it. Father, as the men prepare for the distribution of the cup, we ask that you would give us such an overwhelming sense of gratitude that we have been able to partake of this supper in a right way with a full heart of examination because we don't want to be like those who landed as carcasses in the wilderness for whom the Lord was greatly displeased. We want you to bless us. We want you to shine upon us and flower us with joy unspeakable because we've discerned the body rightly. We have been involved not in the kind of sins that are enumerated there in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. No no idolatry, no pattern of life there, no, no immorality, no testing of the Lord, no grumbling. We're serving one another. We're We're not withholding from one another. We're giving to one another. We're loving each other. Thank you for this time of examination and proclamation. And as we partake now of the cup, may you bless us as we drink of this cup and receive the the eternal life that Jesus says is set for those who feed on my flesh and drink of my blood. In his name we pray. Amen.
This is emblematic of the blood of Christ. It isn't the blood of Christ, just a testament, a visual picture, a reminder of the blood of Christ, sacrificed once and for all. And when we partake of this, the juice, we proclaim his death until he comes. And we examine ourselves and say, thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Let's do it together. As the men distribute the baskets to take up these cups, you say you didn't share one of the other Gospels. Men, you go ahead. And that is from John 13. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to John 13 as you're giving your cup, placing it in the basket. In John chapter 13, as we close our time together, John 13.1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, there, another reference to Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet but only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Do you see there the arch examples, the disciples who believe, and the arch example, Judas Iscariot, who rejects, after saying these things, verse 21, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. That's, of course, John the Apostle. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, John the Apostle, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What are you going to do? Uh, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus, Jesus was telling him, But what buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. 
you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Father, as we close this portion of our service, we ask that you would be so blessed at what we have shared together in the reading of Scripture, the meditation of Holy Communion, and of these features, the Passover lamb, the institution of this very supper, and the consistent portrayal of the betrayer. May we have these things sealed to our mind, and especially the aspects of our examination and our proclamation, the examination that we should not ever align ourselves with the sins of the children of Israel and certainly the sins of Judas Iscariot and the sins of the priests and scribes and Pharisees who were grumbling and disputing about the Lord Jesus. May that not be even named among us. May we not be grumblers but grateful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to take your bulletin and your turn it to the back page to the song, Let It Be Said of Us. And I invite you, if you are able, to stand with me as we sing these. It's really verse 1 and 2, not verse 1 and 3. We'll sing those verses in the chorus. 